You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Hey, I'm looking for Fred Rogers in here. It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? Please, won't you be my neighbor? Hello, neighbor. Mr. Rogers. I'm here to interview you. It is so nice to meet you. You okay? Profiling Mr. Rogers. Lloyd, please don't ruin my childhood. This piece will be for an issue about heroes. Do you consider yourself a hero? We are trying to give the world positive ways of dealing with their feelings. Yeah? Like what? There are many things you can do. You can play all the lowest keys on a piano at the same time. broken people like me. Sometimes we have to ask for help, and that's okay. I think the best thing we can do is to let people know boom, that each one of them is precious. Alright everyone, you were just listening to the trailer for A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, and the story is as follows. A journalist's life is enriched by friendship when he takes on an assignment profiling Mr. Fred Rogers, based on the real-life friendship between journalist Tom Junod and television star Fred Rogers. The film is starring Tom Hanks, Matthew Reese, Susan Kelechi Watson, and Chris Cooper. It is directed by Mariel Heller, written by Mika Fitzerman Blue and Noah Harpster. Uh, joining me for this podcast review, I have Casey Lee Clark. Hello. Dan Baer. Good evening. And also joining us for the first time on a podcast review here, newest member to nextbestpicture.com, we have Amanda Spears. Thank you. Hello. Hello, everyone. It's a beautiful day to review movies, a beautiful day to talk about movies. Won't you be <laughs> my co-hosts? Yeah. <laughs> See? Matt. That worked out okay. Uh, so, Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, uh, it's very interesting because this is coming off the heels of a very extremely popular documentary that came out last year called Won't You Be My Neighbor, uh, which famously did not receive an Oscar nomination uh, for Best Documentary Feature, despite being the front runner and sweeping the season last year. It was a big box office hit, really, really brought Mr. Rogers uh, to the forefront of everybody's minds, I think. So this way, when A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood uh, was coming right around the corner then with... Tom Hanks cast as uh, Fred Rogers, you know, there's been a lot of talk about how this is not a straight up biopic. And we'll and we'll get into, you know, what we like, what we don't like, you know, how we feel about that necessarily. Uh, but Mariel Heller also 
from a context standpoint, is coming off of a great year last year with Can You Ever Forgive Me, where it seemed like everybody on that film uh, received Oscar nominations, including the writers, uh, Melissa McCarthy, Richard E. Grant. Uh, but unfortunately, Mariel Heller uh, was kind of left to the sidelines. Well, now here she is with the film uh, based around the subject that uh, couldn't get an Oscar nomination. She couldn't get an Oscar nomination, and it's being released right in the thick of awards season. <sighs> so, Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. What did we think? I'm going to pass it off to Amanda first for general thoughts here. Amanda, what's your opinion on A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood? If you've seen the trailer, you've seen Tom Hanks' performance. Okay. Whoa, whoa. Wait a minute. Hold on. So, sounds like we've got a bit of a cynic here amongst us, much like the Matthew Reese character. <laughs> I'm not, I wanted to love this movie. Let, uh -huh. let me be clear. I, I wanted it to make me cry and bawl and have this very cathartic experience. And I, I did not. Okay. I was frankly a really disappointed. Disappointed that you didn't cry, or I, I just felt like the story wasn't rich enough. They, this felt very two dimensional to me. Interesting, because actually, funny enough, I don't want to skip necessarily right away to myself, but um, I will say uh, that my biggest issue with the movie is actually its screenplay. Uh, and, you know, it, it's interesting that you say that, Amanda, because I, too, kind of went in with, I guess, a certain level of expectation. Um, thank you, Dan Bear, for that. Uh, <laughs> and I definitely walked out of it thinking, oh, well, that wasn't exactly what I expected heading in. But I'm thankful that it was different and it wasn't a standard biopic formula. No, and, and it's not because it's not the standard biopic formula. It's, I, I don't know. It just felt like it was missing something throughout. I'm going to try and crack that mystery because I, I, I get what you're saying. D Dan, Casey, you guys remember when I walked out of it and I was like, I like this movie, but I don't love it. And I can't quite pinpoint what it is. that's preventing me from fully loving it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're going to uncover this mystery on this podcast review for Amanda and I, I hope at least. Uh, but why don't we hear from uh, you, you two, um, because I know you two really like this movie a lot. I'll start off here with Dan, because Dan, you actually saw it going back to uh, Toronto, and you were the one that was definitely really hyping it up for a lot of us. So what do you think of the movie? Yeah, I, I saw it in Toronto um, at the first PNI screening um, after everyone had seen it the evening before at the premiere, and I had heard it's it's really good, um, very unexpected, um, in terms of the type of good it was. So I went in, you know, hope expecting it to be really good. Um, and also, and I, and I said this when, <laughs> when, after I saw it to you guys, I fully acknowledge that I am the easiest mark in the world for this movie because I, Mr. Rogers was everything to me growing up, um, had issues with my dad in recent years like this movie is almost like designed to make specifically me have a very strong reaction to it but i and i and i really really loved it out of um toronto i was crying basically from the very first scene all the way through to the end um, it really hit home. I was completely enamored with um, the storybook quality to it, the um, the chances that I think both the script 
and Marielle Heller in her direction take with the material. Um, I was very impressed with the performances. Um, Tom Hanks almost least of all, but still. Um, and then I've been waiting <laughs> since Toronto to see it again, to see if it really was, you know, that festival hype and that that the, whatever is in the air up there when you're seeing um, a movie before you know, months before its release date, before anyone else has seen it. And I saw it again last night. And honestly, it is still my favorite film of the year. I think it is just practically flawless. Okay. All right. Uh, Casey? Yeah, so I, after Dan's word of mouth from Tiff, I've been anxiously awaiting this. I was such a big fan of the documentary. I didn't... I have slight memories of watching Mr. Rogers as a child, but I don't think it left an impression on me then. I think it was what I had seen in the documentary and have since watched online of being a young person struggling with mental health that I think the messaging of Mr. Rogers got to me in a significant way. And so I think this film combined those two (laughs) things very strongly for me. And I loved it on that emotional level, but I also loved a lot of the technicals of it. I loved the performances. I loved the production design, the specific look of a lot of the film. I just gravitated so much to the world of it from the sounds to all the things. If your music cues involve Nick Drake and Cat Stevens, I'm in. <laughs> so, um, But yeah, it completely won me over more than I ever thought. I thought I would really like it. I didn't expect to fall in love with it the way that I did and completely be on and off crying throughout the entirety of it. And it, tackling i feel like this that cynical main character a type of complicated cynicism and hatred of the world that i felt like i while not myself i feel like i know people like that very very well and i think that that kind of caught me off guard how much i gravitated towards that story as well as the live act the full length mr rogers episode that this movie basically mm-hmm. is which is brilliant the whole thing i think is genuinely a brilliant way of storytelling and it completely won me over and it's one of my favorite movies of the year. I will definitely concede that there was a period in my life where um, I was a hardcore cynic, pessimist, um, angry. I was not the person I am today. And I see a lot of myself in the uh, Lloyd Vogel character played by Matthew Reese actually in this film or at least a part of myself that is not really so much what I live through today. Now, I'm not saying I live like a saint like Fred Rogers does necessarily today, (laughs) Um, but I have learned to have a much more positive outlook on life and realizing that once I finally just started choosing um, those methods and like, you know, uh, just a a kindness, generosity and a selflessness uh, with decisions that I make and how I treat others and stuff. I just started to realize that life became much simpler and a lot easier at that point. And so I definitely understood like the connection to the character because I can I can understand where Lloyd is coming from, where he's talking to this guy who honestly is too good to be true. You know, there's got to be something that in his spare time when the cameras are off, you know, there's got to be something going on in his personal life. There's got to be something. This guy cannot be this generous, kind, lovable, just 
I, I don't want to say saint again, but you know, <laughs> he pretty much is almost. And I, I, I have to say, like I, that perspective of the main character was one that um, I completely understood while watching this. Now, what's interesting is that. I never once actually got to the point where I cried while watching this. I also didn't cry when watching Won't You Be My Neighbor. I'm actually one of the few people who thinks that Won't You Be My Neighbor is actually like not that great of a documentary. It's everybody's in love with the subject of Fred Rogers and that movie itself is not that great. I completely agree. Okay. All right. All right. So the minority is starting to grow a little (laughs) bit. (laughs) So, like, I'm coming into this movie with a ton of cynicism. I'm, like, telling Dan, like, every day, dude, stop overhyping it. Stop overhyping it. I tried. I tried. But, like, I was really, like, it was so good and had such a profound effect on me. There hasn't – there has hardly been a day since Tiff that I haven't thought about this movie. So that's what I kind of want to maybe try to dial in on then is did it now work for me because I was never – like ever going to give it a chance I, I don't know like Amanda um, you know they're, they're talking about the story structure um, they're talking about uh, the themes in the movie and such like you know do, do you know for yourself what it was that prevented you because I, I think for me it was just like inherent cynicism if you will it wasn't inherent cynicism for for me I I think mm-hmm. I, I think there's a few problems I think the characters weren't really fleshed out enough He's this cynic, but he's still a very successful writer. There's nothing wrong. It, it, it's it was all too quick in establishing mm. this. I think feel. Mm-hmm. I, I like the idea of it being this episode of Mister Rogers. I thought that was an interesting. I love that. The transitions too, oh. uh, with the oh God, city so and much. that's all. That's brilliant. That is phenomenal. I, I love all of that. Yeah, and I I. I don't want to throw people under the bus, but I'm wondering a little bit if Matthew Reese was the wrong actor for this character. Oh. Because I don't know if there was enough, if I saw enough growth from the beginning of the story to the end. And I don't know if that's all the screenplay or if he has to foster a little bit of this blame. That's really interesting because he's actually my favorite performance in the movie. I he might be mine. That's so interesting because I I'm I'm not of that belief either. Wow, this is such a interesting contrast we have going I will on here. Say, I think so. Everybody hates me now. No, no, no not at all. <laughs> listen, that- listen. Matthew Reese gets a pass for life because of the Americans. Just saying. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, that, that's, I, that that I think uh, you know. I don't know if maybe this was the right role. I don't know if it's just that his character wasn't drawn out enough for me to really get a cynic. It just seemed like he had a bad couple of days. Hmm. Yeah. He had, I, a couple of bad, he had a bad relationship with his father. But, you know, from where he started to where he was, it's like, I don't know if you can really say that's because of one person more than, you know, his wife kind of intervening a little bit also. It's really interesting because, like, almost right before I went, I sat down for my second screening of this yesterday. Um, I had seen a review from someone who said that he thought the movie was fine, but he thought that Matthew Reese and Susan Kalechi Watson, who plays his wife, had no chemistry. Isn't that the point? Well, th- that was the thing. Like, and I didn't quite know what to make of that. I'm like, that's definitely going to be something that I'm 
that I paid attention to this time around. Right, because isn't he supposed to be somewhat uh, withdrawn and disconnected because he's holding on to this anger? She makes a point of saying it, you know, both of them make a point of saying it later in the movie that, you know, he's been a bit distant and sort of focused on his work. And part of one of the things that he's worried about is, you know, like, that now he has a child and what is he going to do? And the sort of unspoken part of that is that he's worried about this because of his own paternal influence growing up. Um, and and I, I just think they didn't do enough of a job establishing that before they got to him having this kind of the cathartic like ending, yeah, if you will. That yeah. I can agree with because it is sort of one of those things that is, very unspoken and you have to like infer it if you will yeah how matthew reese is playing this character is very is very subtle and i there i mean nothing in the movie shouts but particularly his performances in a lot of sideways glances and how he reacts to different things placed in front of him i think this is a personal preference thing um but dan i think you remember you might recall me saying this to you um, I, I wasn't too sure about it then. I was like floating it as an idea because I did feel that the script was slightly underdeveloped in these um, deep emotional complexities that these characters, that this, well, specifically this character Lloyd Vogel was going through. I was curious if the fact that this movie is rated PG prevented the screenplay from being able to go to darker darker places and i don't mean darker in the sense of like i had to get like violent or vulgar or anything like that but it 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 prevented um the movie from being able to go deeper if you will into the psychological ramifications of what this character was really going through i'm going to say right out that i i don't understand why they would need a pg rating so much that they would let it affect the script if that makes sense, like this is clearly not a film for children. No, yeah, I agree. It's meant to be a movie for adults, 100%. So <laughs> I, I don't – I sort of think that that argument is built on an incredibly shaky foundation. I just feel like I, the character I don't agree development with the was rushed. I think the problem is this. I think the problem is that we know that there's something wrong with Lloyd. We know that there is strain between him and his father. We don't know early on exactly what it is. And I think the reveal that what his father did was his father walked out on him and his mother when his mother was sick is a trope that I've seen done before in other movies. Hell, we were even talking about Magnolia a couple of nights ago. (laughs) And I was like, this is exactly that same storyline. This is where I'm going to say – fine it's a trope but we're talking inspired by a true story here so i understand they could have done a better job of establishing (laughs) that what he's written in the past because they there's just one throwaway line where it's like you know i need you to do this everyone's doing one who works at this magazine as far as like a hero is concerned but we never really know anything else he's written that make him so well she just says he's the only person who talked to you well what has he written that would make him the only person? You know what I mean? Like The, the that- movie establishes that he's a successful writer, but we don't know anything outside of yeah. why. Why would people it, be afraid to talk to him? That That's my problem. Is that like... It established that 
that he not in so many words, I think, because it's sort of information that is parceled out very slowly across the line of the movie, but it's established that he is a writer who he's like, he wants to do investigative journalism. He wants to change the world. He writes pieces that she says, you know, like people love to talk to you and then they read your piece about them and they discover that it's not so flattering is what is sort of unspoken there. And even when he, when he tells his wife, you know, I'm interviewing Mr. Rogers, the first, practically the first thing out of her mouth is like, don't, don't ruin my childhood. <laughs> I love that line. I, I love that line too. And the way she says it is so great. Susan Crutchy Watson. But like the thing is that it's establishing that he is, and he says, you know, puff pieces is not what I do. The point is that he sees this assignment in general is beneath him. Yeah. And he sees the subject as something that he immediately has to be cynical about and not just for personal reasons, but because that's sort of what he does. He says a number of times, like, you know, this is what I, I was hired to do. This is my job to look into these people to, to see if they're really what they present to the world. Well, if I'm teeing that up then Dan, and or if you're giving me the layup to slam into the basket here with that, uh, great setup, I, what I like <laughs> that the movie does is I like that here's a guy who is trying to change the world through his writing and his work, and he's trying to have a positive impact on the world through, you know, whatever investigative journalism it is that he's doing and such. And he meets this guy who teaches him a valuable lesson that the way that you change the world is one person at a time uh, through you know, inherent kindness. Yeah. And there's a simplicity to that, that I think that when we think about why do people get so emotional about, um, you know, this movie, this character, the themes that he's saying and such, there is a, a pureness, if you will, to Fred Rogers that almost doesn't feel like it is of this world. Um, and I think the best thing that this movie does uh, that actually for the cynics out there, you know, to acknowledge, uh, is the movie does have a a, a bit between uh, Tom Hanks and Matthew Reese where, you know, Fred Rogers tells him, no, it's it's incredibly hard. I work at it every single day. You know, I, I have days where I lose my temper and things of that nature. I'm human. And I love that it kind of demystifies him in that regard. See, I don't think it demystifies him enough. I, I, I really, I, I feel like he's almost playing the the best version of him there's never a flaw in this the the Fred Rogers we see i think that's kind of the problem like he's never annoyed he's never upset he's never like i know you i know what you what you're trying to do there like but by all accounts though that was who he was and i get that but he's saying he's having bad days i think almost in a movie it would have been better to show us a little bit of that yeah, I'm not this naive, dumb person. I, I bet he's worked in, you know, television for a long time. So he's not dumb. But this is, I think, sort of the whole point of the movie is that whenever Lloyd does ask those probing questions, what Rogers does is sometimes he will ignore the question completely because he doesn't feel like answering it. And other times he will sit back 
take in the question and say, thank you, or yes, it is hard. And that, I think, is the key to Fred Rogers, or specifically this version of Fred Rogers that Tom Hanks is playing, is that it's not, he's not, yes, he has bad days and he has a, you know, dark side, but that's for him. That's personal. And you'll note that, you know, at the end of the movie, which I, I'm so in love with that final shot. Yeah, the final shot is really well done. The, there's a re- and spoilers, but like there's a reason why he waits for everyone to leave. Um yeah, yeah I, mean, I, I think there's something to read into with that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I yeah. I think that it's just I don't know why I, I'm a little upset with Tom Hanks because I feel like he keeps playing these people who are giving, we're getting the best version of the cells. It felt, it reminded me a lot of him playing Walt Disney. You know, I, I, I know what you mean by that, Amanda, because like in bridge of spies, the post, uh, like you said, saving Mr. Banks, it's though as if like, he's leaning in a lot into the persona that we have given him of America's dad, the, like the perfect human being, and in that regard, it's like you can either look at a beautiful day in the neighborhood as like the most perfect casting in the world, or you can look at it as oh, it's Tom Hanks playing like the most perfect human being on planet Earth yet again in an overly sentimental film. You know what I mean? I think it's the other way around <laughs> from, you know, him playing this part yet again. I think that it they're casting him specifically because he has that persona he's not gonna get nominated for another oscar until he does something different i i agree and i don't care as long as the performance is good because oscars as much as it's all we talk about are not the be all end all that's true i I don't care about that at all he's continuing to deliver great performance after great performance it's not and he already has two oscars better i think that it's interesting because i i didn't think at any time that it was like mimicry or um like that he was doing a um a full-fledged like impersonation if you will of fred rogers i really did think that there were uh subtle moments little nuances within his performance that really really did help to give that character uh texture yeah Yeah, and the way how calm he is like there's and i was listening to an interview with mario Holler about how she directed him of like toning him down a notch making Mm. it very calm very quiet he takes a lot of pauses there's a lot of like almost awkward silence and things yeah which is which is the whole Mm -hmm. point that a lot of mr rogers segments have of like especially the opening with the the picture wall with the little doors. Like it takes a while for that to play out. And he lets him take that out. And I think that's where you get that interpretation, that performance rather than just like mimicking a voice and things like that. Yeah. I think that's, that's one of the reasons that I love this performance so much is that he's, he does not look or sound anything like Fred Rogers. No, and, not and at all. At the very end of the movie, they even put a clip of Fred Rogers to, as if to prove he does not look or sound anything like Fred Rogers. But he captures his his essence, I think, and his way of being. He captures the rhythm 
of Mr. Rogers as a person. I'll agree with the rhythm. The way that he says certain lines and the pauses and stuff, definitely. And and that was the thing that sold me on the character, that, you know, he's not trying to be biopic mimicry sort of performance. He's trying to capture who this person was. And I think, you know, I'm, (laughs) I'm a tap dancer by trade, so, like, rhythm is sort of my bag. And the way he captures the rhythm of this man, I was very, very taken with. Can I just say my favorite moment of rhythm in the movie is, um, without getting into spoilers, a diner scene? Oh, God. Don't make me cry right on this podcast. (laughs) In terms of just moments I've seen this year um, in cinema, as far as just utilizing, you know, sound, visuals, to just create a, a unique moment, if you will, for the cinematic experience, uh, regardless of what you think of the movie, I think that moment uh, specifically is something that when I think of like best scenes of the year, um, some of them will be dialogue scenes. Some of them will be visual extravaganzas, but there was something about uh, the silence of that scene that just, it, it, it was sustained long enough that it got me thinking about other things while it was happening. And I'm not going to reveal what those were because they were deeply personal to me. But um, I, I think that there is a lot going on there for every single audience member in that scene on an individual personal level um, that I found to be extremely powerful. I, that scene is there's he's looking simultaneously. He is looking at Lloyd and he's looking at the other people in the restaurant, and he's also looking at you in the audience, and it's just so fantastic. And this is like one of my favorite things about this movie is the way Mariel Heller kind of weaponizes these close-ups of Tom Hanks and Matthew Reese to let us into these characters. I... the. The cinematography and, and editing in this is not something that I think will get a lot of awards recognition, but I, it's so incredibly smart. The um, the shot the sorry, the shot scale that she uses, and when they cut in closer and when they cut to further away, is so psychologically astute, um, and I particularly um, enamored of that scene and um, the earlier scene when um, Matthew Reese is in Mr. Rogers' apartment with, and he brings out the puppets. Yeah. Yeah. There, there are these like moment when it just cuts to a close up of Matthew Reese's face. And I'm like, Oh, that felt like the whole world opening up. I know what you're talking about in terms of the shot selection and psychologically um, it, it, it's not like, an exciting uh, battle of wits between no. like two hard characters or anything like that. But it is, you know, um, there's a, I think there is a quote somewhere that she has said before about uh, something along the lines of like her favorite types of stories are like people um, trying to like find their way um, like, like uh, inner conflict, if you will, like internal conflict that characters are uh, facing and um, I love that the Matthew Reese character is having this really deep, deeply personal conflict that he doesn't want to share at all. 
Um, and there are these things, you're right, in terms of their shot, shot, shot selection, when to cut to a close-up, when to just cut to the other actors for their reaction. I do agree with you, Dan, that and, you know, I've got some minor issues with that screenplay. And I think it is because coming off the heels of Can You Ever Forgive Me, which I thought was a really brilliant screenplay. This is just a good screenplay. Like, it's not a great one for me. My point, though, being is that Mariel Heller's direction of A Beautiful Day in a Neighborhood, for me, elevates the movie from average to pretty damn good. And I'm not just talking about the visual flair moments of um, there's like a vision at one point in, in the film the where everything sequence. is black. Oh, my favorite scene. <laughs> <laughs> there's also um, we've talked before about the uh, the models for the scene transitions um, and how those are based off of the, the show. Uh, there's also, you know, that scene in the diner we talked about. There, there are these things that she does in the direction of this film that. I really, really do believe it's some of the more inspired direction I've seen this year because this could just be without these directorial choices. Um, or maybe they're not directorial choices. Maybe they are just part of the screenplay, whatever it is. Uh, but the way that she's able to still utilize them and have them be quirky and weird and have them still work their way into the film and tonally, you know, still be of a whole. Nothing at any point felt so jarring to me that it took me out of the movie. And there's some weird stuff that happens in this movie at times. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so I think that is a credit to her and the level of skill that she brings to it in making sure that all of these quirky moments um, still feel of a piece. I think you're absolutely right. Um, her direction completely elevates the script. I I talked earlier about this sort of storybook quality that I, and I think that is totally due entirely to her direction of it. Um, but I think the script, I, th I think we're talking about two, if we're talking about, can you ever forgive me? And this, we're talking about two very different things here where can you ever forgive me is a script where it's very much about the dialogue and the dialogue that is so sharp and insightful and cutting. And yeah. um, with this, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, I think the part that it is best at is structure and the overall narrative arc of it. I mean, the structuring this story like an episode of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, I, I don't think I can overstate how brilliant I found that because that is to me is the single best thing about this movie. That is what makes this movie what it is. I agree. Well, you know why now, right? Because what it then functions as in the end as a whole, when you walk away from the movie, it was an episode for us. Yeah, exactly. I, I think the script is so simple and the characters more, not as fully fleshed out to their fullest extent, almost because it's taking things down to the simple, yeah. basic terms for children. Not necessarily that there aren't deep themes here, but I think the idea of like, this person has a problem, let's see them fix this problem. Like take it down to those basic terms. And I think, you know, whether you choose to find that, you know, not working or what, but I, for me, I think that's what I gravitated towards and kind yeah. of figured out by the end of, oh, that's why we're not finding out these things and whatnot is because it's not so much like 
brutal realism if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, uh, I know what you mean. Because there were times with like Chris Cooper's character, for example, who, by the way, I want to just say for the record, Chris Cooper, one of the more underappreciated uh, actors, I feel like. Um, he had his time where he was really red hot, won the Oscar in 2002 for adaptation. And then like in the years since then, it's like he pops up here and there in small roles, like pretty much all the time now in like, you know, random things. But here, he's got a lot to work with, I felt like. And um, there are some points where uh, that character uh, gets pretty dark. But at the same time, that character also simultaneously is a character who is trying to heal and is trying to make an effort and is trying to, despite his flaws, be a better human being. And I think that's another uh, example of the themes of the movie that Mr. Rogers is trying to uh, instill upon uh, Lloyd, which is that, you know, yeah, we're all broken and we're all flawed. You know, we do the best that we can and we we, we try, you know, like trying to be a good person, trying to um, forgive someone, trying to find acceptance and trying to, you know, find that kindness that is within all of us. It doesn't just happen. It, it takes hard work. And I think we even see moments where uh, Chris Cooper's character, Jerry, um, he's working really, really hard to try and make amends with his son, even though for all intents and purposes, you know, the guy probably somewhat on some level maybe deserves, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> what he's got, you know, coming to him. No, I think he's one of the better fleshed out characters, Chris Cooper's, because he's it, it, he's sitting in the car. He wants to reconnect with his son. He's trying to reconnect. So we at least have some uh, more insight into his thought process than we do uh, some of the other ones. Yeah, I, I keep just I kind of just keep coming back to um, what what made the movie a little hard for me in in the in like the first two acts or first half. Let's just say the first half is that I didn't really know why Lloyd was mad at Jerry. I just knew that he was mad, but I didn't know about what. And then when they reveal what it is, I'm like, oh, that's that's it. And then I was hoping that they would go into more detail about it necessarily. And they do have like kind of this big blow up scene at his apartment where he does uh, kind of lay into Jerry verbally about, you know, all this pent up frustration of years of holding on to this anger over what he did and such. Um, but I, I'm. I am leaning a little bit with Amanda in the sense that I, I didn't feel like it went deeper. I thought it was a little surface level. So I think that, if you'll permit me, that's kind of the point. All right. Explain. Um, so the the ethos of Mr. Rogers and the driving force behind Mr. Rogers' neighborhood is to present – Difficult. Oh, you're right. Damn in it. <laughs> as simple a way as possible. Yep. <laughs> and God. to leave to just, you know, say the most basic thing, you know, take the sort of the Occam's razor, the simplest explanation is the mm-hmm. best one. And then let that be the catalyst for going deeper and thinking more and discussing more. And that's one of the things that I love about this. Film. I just had an aha moment, Dan. You do realize that, right? <laughs> no, and I, I didn't think of it that way either. But again, 
then it comes back to my problem with the performance where there's not enough of a noticeable change between the way he is from the beginning to the end. Yeah, he he's a little bit more willing to be a partner to his wife in certain areas, but it's still it still feels like it's missing something and I don't know if that's actor or 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 script. Well, and he's able to let people don't that, just spend a couple of days with a person and then become a different person overnight yeah. and that's how it felt. But he's able to let go of his um his anger towards his father, which, you know, following the sort of logic line of the movie and how things are presented, that opens him up to be not a completely different person, but it opens him up to different possibilities in his life, the possibility that he can be a better father than his father was and to not be afraid of being a father to his child and to be a more caring, compassionate person in his relationship with his wife. I I do agree in the sense that like the movie does tidy things up very, very nicely. Um, And it is a little quick, maybe a little rushed and doesn't really go like I was saying earlier. It's not that I need this movie to be darker. I just wanted I wanted it to go a little bit deeper was all. But but I will admit I've only seen the film once. I do like the movie. I don't want to make it sound like I like did not like this movie at all. Um, I'm willing to watch it a second time. I'm willing to take some of the things that Dan, you've talked about here um, eloquently, might I add, and with a lot of detail um, and willing to kind of like give the movie another try with that lens, because I do think um, there's a chance I'll like it even more um, as a result of now understanding a little bit better what exactly it is that it is doing. Um, for anyone that's curious, by the way, and I don't know who is curious out there, um, Michael Schwartz is like the biggest like Mr. Rogers like stand that I know on planet Earth sometimes that I think he is like Mr. Rogers sometimes. <laughs> um, and he also had issues with this movie. And that might have been like my biggest uh, like review slash reaction shock of the year from the MVP team. Mm. Um and I, I wish he I wish and I hope he's not he's not going to listen to this, but I really, really <laughs> wish that he uh, was here because I would have been interested to hear in more detail uh, what about this didn't work for him. But I do feel like if he does listen to this and he hears where I'm coming from, where Amanda's coming from, um, I don't know, maybe maybe there is a bit of a divide there in that regard. Um, I've heard some people saying that they went into this and they didn't like it because they wanted it to be about Mr. Rogers and they wanted it to be a biopic to that. I say you you complain when you get a biopic and then when you get something that's not a biopic you complain anyway like come on people like pick a lane seriously I've I've seen people react to this like well it's they didn't like it because it wasn't the documentary I'm like but the documentary already and also exists yeah watch the documentary it's not that hard and it's it's not the movie's fault how it's being marketed that's you know that's out of there Hands and that's the point. other thing, like, they have made it very clear in the marketing that it's, if you've seen the trailer, like, it's painfully clear that this is about the guy interviewing Mr. Rogers, not about Mr. Rogers. Right. <laughs> With that said, uh, what I want to do uh, now at this point is I want to test it off to uh, like final thoughts. going to hate me now. So. <laughs> no! Here, let, let, I need to reassure Amanda just before we do that, because I, if certain things in a movie don't work for you, 
then they don't work for you. Exactly. You know, and yeah. that is fine. And we can all, you know, get along to go along and live and let live. And I think Mr. Rogers would want us to do that. <laughs> hey, oh, <laughs> all right. Final thoughts. Uh, so anything that we did not cover that you want to cover, Casey, um, I know you took a bit of a seat back on this one, actually listening to uh, the verbal sparring, if you will. I, <laughs> I you know, um, I think that like Dan, I think the thing that won me over with this was its structure was that idea. And I think also like the balance of whimsy in real life, the whimsy, I think takes a little bit more of a backseat towards that second half. Once it kind of fully becomes, I think Lloyd's story of not redemption, but whatever. But I think that the way that this film bookends it's opening and closing, I think completely won me over. And I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing it again and seeing whether it, maintains that high point for me on a second view after it no longer being a surprise. I feel like it will since it did for Dan as well. But yeah, that was pretty much my overall thoughts with like the idea of the structure and the script simplifying things down and whatnot. But yeah, Matthew Reese and Tom Hanks. I love them. That's, that's my, my answers there. All right. All right. Uh, what grade Casey would you give the movie out of 10? Ah, do it. Do you want me to just do? T- I might do, do ten because even the things that I'm like, um, I can see why this would bother someone else. If it's a ten, Casey, it better be your top in your top three of the year. It's my number two or three, yeah. All righty, uh, now I'm going to pass it over to you, Amanda. Uh, anything that we did not talk about with a beautiful day in the neighborhood that you specifically wanted to bring up? No, I, I, I think I, a second viewing would be interesting because maybe my expectations were too high. Yeah, I, I once again, thank you, Dan. Uh, I kind of suffered from that ever so slightly. <laughs> I tried as much as I could. Dan made this movie sound like it was going to change my life. <laughs> like my hair would start growing back. I would miraculously lose 30 pounds, you know? <laughs> I tried so hard to temper the expectations. I'm so sorry. Uh, well, I mean, it's good. I wanted it to be better. That's and, fair. And I don't think a clever structure is enough to completely save it. You know what? I'm just curious if you felt this way too, Amanda. Um, I I struggled sometimes with how the movie was shot, cinematography-wise. Yeah. Did, did, that yeah. Ever, did that ever bother you? It did. And, and also, I think it's relying on people's nostalgia of Mr. Rogers a mm-hmm. little too hard. So, you know. Visually or? Just in general. Okay. Kind of like how Mary Poppins was last year. It relied on the original uh, Mary Poppins Returns. It relied on people having this love affair with the original film. It's relying on people having this love affair with Mr. already being in love with who Mr. Rogers is and uh, people wa- growing up watching him where if, you know, I was more into Sesame Street. So I don't really have that overwhelming love of him. So I think it's also one of those films that it's probably not going to play very well internationally because I, I know some people who live abroad and, you know, they, they don't have that same connection already with Mr. Rogers. I, I, I could see that. Yeah. Where they might be like, who cares? I mean, his popularity was pretty sky high, even after the show um, had its heyday. And, you know, even though he was still like running, like around the time this um, around the time this movie takes place, actually, you know, it's like the guy's you know, past his prime and everything, but he's still, still working, still doing his thing. Um, 
but he's ext- extraordinarily well known by a lot of people. Um, but yeah, you're right. It might be a might be a stateside thing. Watching it growing up, I think is probably where there might be a disconnect for some people. I I kind of agree with that to a certain extent, only because I didn't grow up watching Mister Rogers myself, and so. Once again, I, I, I found myself a lot like uh, the Lloyd Vogel character uh, played by Matthew Reese um, in the sense of just like, okay, guy, who are you really? What is this? You know, this can't be. No, no way. I don't I don't buy that. <laughs> don't give me this goody two shoes thing that you're doing here. Uh, but I think that. Tom Hanks' performance, as as I said before, is so good in that even as a viewer, I don't have this feeling towards Mr. Rogers myself. I had this feeling towards the movie overall. The performances of Hanks and Reese for me, even though, yes, I agree I wanted the screenplay to maybe go a little bit deeper at times, those performances really, really, really did carry um, the movie's um, weight and then Mario Heller was there to just like catapult it essentially <laughs> at a certain point. Um, so overall, um, where are you leaning where, on the great on this grade scale of ten? Where where what are you leaning on right now? Um, probably like a seven. Oh. The way you were talking, I was thinking this was gonna be like a four or something. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean I, I like it. I, I like I said, I, I want a little bit more. Tom, I love Tom Hanks. I thought he was very good, but ag- again, I'm I'm getting a little bored with Tom Hanks doing this. The Goody Two Shoes character. Yeah, I think if you look back, even in his romantic comedies, mm-hmm. he wasn't always this nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I I I know what you mean by that too. Yeah, that's true. He he's at a point where he's almost too nice, and yeah, there is a there is such a thing. It makes me wonder if that's part of the reason why we like, uh, and I say we like, you know, like the, the internet, if you will, uh, like w- why a lot of people like Captain Phillips so much is that it's like a, it's not exactly the hero uh, as he is in something like Bridge of Spies or in The Post or even in stuff like Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood or uh, Saving Mr. Banks, different types of heroes, sure, but I wonder if, like, that that way that he uh, conveys that type of heroism in Captain Phillips with more vulnerability and um, relatable fear and, uh, you know, determination in the face of such trying circumstances. Uh, I, wonder, I wonder if that's why people like that so much. I think the last five minutes of that film remind you what a great actor he is. Oh, 100% agreed. And that's the problem is he needs to do something that is almost completely opposite of this to be, to be back in the Oscar conversation. Yeah. yeah. He promised us he was going to win four Oscars. So I, I can't remember what year he allegedly dies. And you remember that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They promised us he was going to win four Oscars. Well, it, it number three will not come from this, but I think it would almost be better if he looked at somebody like Denzel Washington, who most people think is a pretty nice person. And if you look at even Training Day, he he played first probably his first big villain role. But even in Flight or in Fences, he's not playing a good person. But there's something about Denzel Washington that makes you still want to root for these characters and watch these characters. He, Tom Hanks has that ability and that way of uh, 
formulating these characters. He just, for some reason, is just stuck in this rut of good guy, good guy, good guy, honorable person. Yeah, we need we need more road to perdition in our lives is what we need. That's for sure. Dan, we're going to go to you now. Uh, final thoughts? Great out of ten. <laughs> I think I, I don't think I have anything more to say about this movie. <laughs> no, I listen. I give you a lot of credit, man. I, you know, you came to you came to play on this one. You know, <laughs> I, like I said, I have thought about this movie every day since I saw it at TIFF. Um, it's my favorite movie of the year, and it has been since I saw it at TIFF. It has maintain that position i'm so happy that it did for me i'm i really can't express how happy i am that it played just as well for me outside of the festival as it did during it um and i am a 10 out of 10 on this one i'm i'm all in yeah i feel like once every there's always one film every year at least for the past few years this has happened that i have like one movie that instantly Upon watching it, like usually within the first five minutes, I'm like, this is a new all timer for me because it, I'm so on the film's wavelength, you know, it, it doesn't always happen, but the past like few years since uh, 2016, there's been one movie each year that I've been like, oh, I get you and you get me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And this was that movie this year. I am a I am an 8 out of 10 and I I really like this movie. I'm, I'm, I I won't say L O V E. I really like this movie. I'm going to watch it again and I'm going to watch it again soon, I imagine, because the holidays are right here and I know my family's going to want to watch this, so uh, we're gonna probably set aside some time and I'll give it another shot and we'll see if I can bump this sucker up to a nine or not. We'll see. So now for Oscar potential for A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, uh, you know, I think it's it's interesting because heading into the movie, um, I remember there was even a time, maybe it was like over the summer, there was like a time before it premiered where I was like, yeah, I'll have this in my number one slot for Best Picture for now. Why not? I'll have Tom Hanks in supporting. And, you know, we'll move Mariel Heller for a director nomination. And, like, you know, and I had, like, all this stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. And little by little, as the season has gone on, I've been chipping away and chipping away and chipping away to the point where going into the movie, I had it only receiving three nominations for Picture, Adapted Screenplay, and Tom Hanks in supporting. And then immediately after seeing the movie, I then removed all three. Yeah, it's not going to get nominated for anything. I think that it'll get a Globe nomination for Tom Hanks. Isn't he receiving the? Um, yep. This yeah. Is yeah, I, I definitely He'll agree. Get nominated. He might get a, a Critics' Choice nomination because they have um, six and not five, but that's going to be about as far as this film goes. I, I agree, and I it I I personally don't think it's for lack of quality. I just think that it this film is so quiet yes and it's going up against some loud heavy hitters this year yeah when i saw it i was like it's certainly in contention for a lot of things and i think that on a lot of people if they were allowed to vote for a top 10 i think it would maybe show up a lot more but i think the 
it's going to be a very small factor of people who really love the movie and Marielle and Hanks and the script, but I don't think it's going to be enough to push it over the top. And it's not helped by the fact that this is clearly Sony's third priority this season. Uh, Yeah, I I agree, Dan, with the third priority aspect. They have Hollywood and Little Women as well. I also started to wane on this movie when I realized that we were coming up to the release of the film and there hadn't really been any screenings for critics. And it just seemed like the buzz on the movie was extremely quiet, which is weird because when the trailer dropped, if you all remember, it got millions of views and it was like a very, very big deal. And people were going on and on about how they were ready to cry watching this and such. And I think that that trailer released too early. I think yeah. that the movie's buzz did not sustain. And then I think when it premiered at TIFF, it got a little bit of a boost. But there's just been too much that has happened between TIFF and now with its release. And yeah, no, I get it. Listen, I understand there are still movies that have to release in December. Um, but if my memory is, is serving me right to a certain extent here, of the TIFF premieres... I think this is the last one. Uh, no. Wait, did Just Mercy premiere at Telluride? Oh, Just Mercy. Yeah. Well, yeah, that, that's-, that, that's another one I'm going to throw in the same category as this, where it's like supporting actor or a bust at this point. Yeah. It feels yeah. like it's good enough to be in the conversation, but not good enough to get into the lineup. Yeah, agreed. And I yeah. think that... I know the, that doesn't sound... doesn't make the most sense. But. Yeah. No, 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 it does. No, I agree. And I think, like, the marketing team kind of dropped the ball on this one. I mean, let's be honest. There should have... I mean, I hate the culture of, like, a teaser for the teaser and a teaser for the trailer and the trailer for the second trailer. But, <laughs> I mean, you got to go with what the market demands a lot of the time. And they had the one trailer that released very early in the year. They haven't released a second one, I don't think, since then. No. And there haven't been a lot of press until, like, a week or two before the movie opened. And yeah. I know that they've been very... Um, they're keeping the Guild screenings until after Thanksgiving, but I don't know that that's necessarily going to help. I mean, I'm, that's certainly a strategy. I, I'm not sure that it's necessarily a good one. I think he was. Fe- I think Tom Hanks was featured too much in the original trailer because you go into this thinking you're going to get more Hanks. Or I think also him being the poster, like those little brief clip things, are just of him on the set kind of things. And it's like, yeah. well, yes, that's a part of the movie, but it's not the whole movie. Yeah. yeah, and I, I agree. I, I think that like that that might have diminished the fact that Matthew Reese is actually the star of this film. Yeah, and we all talked about too. We we talked about how in order for this movie to do well in the Oscar race, it had to make a ton of money. The same way that something like Joker was able to maintain its buzz despite its re- early release because it kept making money. Uh, Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood opened up this weekend uh, in third place behind Ford v. Ferrari, which was, um, you know, expected to do pretty well. And it was in its second weekend, might I add. And of course, Frozen 2, which, you know, I mean, come <laughs> we on. We knew it would be number one there. That yeah. was, uh, right. Yeah. And I think that was a, another like just miss missed opportunity from the marketing team. Like the, I get counter programming, but. The adults who are going to want to see this movie are the adults with children who are taking them to see Frozen 2 opening weekend. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think the difference between this and, and, and Joker, which, yeah, I agree. They both needed a ton of money. Is You go into the Joker and you get 
Joaquin Phoenix as the Joker. You go into this and you get Matthew Reese, not Mr. Rogers. And that's kind of the problem. Is that you're thinking, that's why I think that's that disconnect of like, well. Let's be honest. Matthew Reese is not as, as interesting as a character, I don't think, as uh, Mr. Rogers is. I disagree. Well, because isn't the whole idea of Mr. Rogers' character is that he is like this uh, enigma that Matthew Reese's character can't seem to quite figure out. But that's the whole point that he's not an enigma. Matthew Reese, Lloyd Vogel just thinks he is. (laughs) He he is exactly what it says on the tin. All right, fine. Reverse psychology. Whatever. (laughs) In any event, though, um, I am going to definitively say I am predicting A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood to get zero Oscar nominations. Anyone want to? Anyone want to disagree? I still think that there is a small but definite possibility that it shows up in adapted screenplay. Adapted screenplay would have to be really weak for this to get. It in. is this year. It is. Yeah. Like I know. Sure I don't know if it's that weak. Like sure things are Little Women, Irishman, and Jojo Rabbit. Yeah. Oh, and two popes. I I think the last slot right now I would say is between Beautiful Day and uh, believe it or not, I think it's between Hustlers and Beautiful Day. Actually, yeah, Hustlers has played the perfect campaign. Yeah, yeah, they've done really good. All righty, people, that'll do it here for a beautiful day in the neighborhood, or as uh, we like to call it on this podcast review, a murky day in the neighborhood. So, (laughs) (laughs) uh. Dan, tell everyone where they can find you on the internet. You can find me spouting the gospel of Mr. Rogers on Twitter at Dance and Dan on Film. Amanda, where can they find you? They can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Miss Amanda Spears. Casey Lee Clark. You can find me on Twitter at Casey Lee Clark. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our review of A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood here on the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time.